Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If you can flip, and we're going to start a new series today called Got Questions. When we were in Africa almost a year ago, I was preaching a sermon in Namibia on Sunday morning, and a gentleman off on the left side toward the end of my sermon raised his hand and started waving it around. And I thought, I don't know if I should call on this guy because I don't know what his question is. We don't ask questions during sermons. So it could, get this, it could be the, a real bizarre question. It could be a controversial question. He might want the floor that he could rebut my sermon. And so I ignored him. And if you raise your hand during the sermon today, I'll probably ignore you. Um, not because I don't like you. I'll talk to you privately. But really, we don't have a good forum on Sunday mornings to ask questions. But people come to church with questions, uh, all kinds of questions about difficult issues, um, why is there suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? How do we respond to this growing pressure to accept uh, homosexuality as an acceptable lifestyle? Who is Jesus? Is he the only way to heaven? And what about church? In fact, I want to start off with this question about church. Who needs church? Because there's been a trend today where people are starting to disassociate themselves from the church. 17% of Americans will attend church on every given weekend, and that number has been dropping steadily year by year. It's believed in the next uh, 20, 30 years, that number will drop to uh, in half of what it is currently. Now, people uh, have a negative view of church oftentimes. And even for those of you who like church, when I ask the question, who needs church? You might say, well, I don't need church. I kind of like church. I don't know if I really need church. And we invited all of our families who visited for Vacation Bible School to come back. We want to address this question because many of them, and maybe you're one of them, have distanced themselves from the church or maybe not felt welcome from church. Or maybe when you hear the word church, what comes to mind is denomination. So when you say, who needs church? You say, well, I, I've got church. I've got, I'm Catholic. I'm Lutheran. I'm Methodist. I'm Assembly of God. Uh, but that's not what I'm talking about. Church isn't a denomination. Or you may think um, church is a building. Who needs that building? Church isn't a building. It's not stained glass windows or crosses on walls or, or coffee shops or anything like that. That's not what church is. Church is people. It's, it's a collection of people who are seeking to follow God and live their lives in a way that please Him through faith. It's really a movement of people who are being changed and who are bringing change to the world that's drifted from God. It started off in an upper room with 120 people who were praying, and all of a sudden the church was given birth, and it mushroomed into thousands upon thousands, ten thousands. And now the, the number of people who claim to believe and follow Jesus is in the millions around the globe. Some of you who've grown up in church have various feelings of church. Some feel very warm about your church experience, but not everyone feels that way. Some people feel very angry about their church experience in childhood. Things that were taught to them. Rules that were imposed on them. They, they, they feel hand-tied that if they do anything this way or that way, they're going to make God angry and he's going to send them into this fiery pit of hell. Many people feel burned by church. There have been leaders in a church who've used them and kind of abused them. There are people who've been bored in church who feel like it's just a ritual of lifeless routines that you kind of endure to punch your card to please God and you move on with life. Some feel betrayed because they've developed friendships within a church and something went sour in that relationship. And they say, I never want to get that close to people again. 
Some feel the church is like a club where people dress up and go to impress one another and, and just simply say niceties. Others feel the church is a place where, where there's a, a small group of power-hungry people who want to control your lives and, and your wallets and everything else about you. But in every complaint of church, there's one thing in common. One thing in common, every single complaint of church. You know what it is? Imperfect people. The church is made of imperfect people. If you are looking for a perfect church, well, you might as well go looking for unicorns, Bigfoot, and affordable health care because they're hard to find. Is it out there? Is it out there? Is there such a thing as a perfect church? And if it is, will you ruin it by joining it? Jesus loves his church. Jesus established the church. He said, I will build my church. And the church has become, over the course of time, an extension and an expression of the hands, the feet, and the voice of Christ. It's called the body of Christ. As if Jesus were making his presence known into the world through people like you and me. And yet oftentimes the church has been, been blemished through inquisitions and through scandals and through abuse. The, the, the history of the church isn't always good, and yet Jesus still loves his church. In fact, not only is it called the body of Christ, it's called the bride of Christ. And anyone who's had a bride loves her dearly. In all her imperfections, all of her flaws. In fact, the, the Bible says that the church currently has blemishes and wrinkles. And you can look in the mirror and somebody says, well, that describes me. And yet Jesus loves his bride, in spite of the fact she's not perfect. And you know what? I, I don't know if you and I really want a perfect church because we wouldn't feel comfortable in a church like that where everyone was so much better than us. There's something compelling about a collection of believers who've come together, who've been broken, who've been hurt, who've made mistakes, and yet find something common in Jesus Christ. In fact, here's, here's what I believe the church was made for. It was made to bring you closer to God. That's why when we ask the question, who needs the church? I do. You do. And everybody does. Now, I want to give you some reasons why today. But before we do, I'm going to ask you if you would open up your heart to hear what God's word has to say about this beautiful bride called his church. Father, thank you for the chance to meet today as your bride, as your body, as your family. And we pray, Lord, that you would remind us today how important this this group of people is, in all their imperfections, that you're doing some incredible things through your church to bring each one of us closer to you. And I pray, Lord, that message sinks deep within us today. And we would leave today knowing how important your church is to us and that, Father, we desire to be part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Five reasons why the church is so important to us. Number one, it tells me that I'm special to God. There's a message the church gives is that each person matters to God. And that's not a message you get through our, our typical educational system. Because our culture says that we are here randomly, a collection of atoms and molecules and amino acids and all these things that over a course of time have mutated and changed and, and expanded to become plants and animals and human beings. And so we go through life simply 
adjusting to everything around us, and one day we die and we go back into dust. And that's not very exciting for any one of us. But the message that comes through the church, that you hear from the time you're very little, from, from, from our preschool, God made you. God made you. Not only did God make you, he made you in his image. Psalm 139 says it beautifully. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm no accident. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You're made by a creator. You're special because you bear his image. There is not a single man or woman you've ever come across in this earth no matter how young or old they are, no matter what color of their skin, no matter if it's male or female, no matter if they have every single part working well or they've been born with some deformity or some chromosome missing, it doesn't matter, but every single person bears the image of God. You're made in his image. Now, when I was in high school, it was real important for us that we had clothes, you had a, the right label on them. So when I was in high school, we had this little red tag on the jeans that said Levi's. And that little tag meant a lot. Because if you wore JCPenney's or Kmart jeans, it didn't mean anything. But if you had that little red tag on the back pocket of your jeans, said Levi's, man, you were special. Because you had the tag. And that's still today, whether it's the swoosh on your tennis shoes or, or some other tag, it seems like that tag means so much. It's like the mark, the owner's mark. Well, every single human being has the owner's mark. If you look into the eyes of another human being, you'll see in some way the image of the creator God. You are special because he made you. When we look at children, I often am curious, does that child look more like mom or dad? You ever do that? You look and you look at the features. Sometimes you even look at the behavior. I don't know. It always seems like when, when little kids are acting bad, they're always compared to the father. Do you ever hear, notice that? Why do you act like your dad? You're just like your dad. We're made in God's image, and, and he's reflected within us. That's why we're special. But it goes beyond that. We're special because he loves us. He loves us. You may feel you don't have the right to be loved because of mistakes you've made. And in our culture, we tend to associate love with, with some merit, like, I love you because you're so sweet. I love you because you're so cute. I love you because you got good grades. You know, I, I love you because of something. But here's the beautiful thing about God's love for you. He loves you in spite of all that. He loves you apart from all of that. He loves you not because of anything about you or me. Here's why God loves you. Because God is love. He can't help but love those he's made. And so there's, there's nothing about you that makes you lovable. Except for the fact that God has chosen to love you. And so sometimes you think, well, if I go to church, God will love me more. If I read my Bible, then God will love me more. And maybe if you're someone who hasn't had a habit of going to church, I'm sure God wasn't love, didn't love me before, but maybe he'll start loving me now. But the truth is, he's always loved you infinitely. In fact, the greatest verse, or I guess I should say the most profound verse of the Bible, the most quoted verse of the Bible, the one that's held up at football games, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved you so much, he sent his only son, Jesus. He didn't send him just for church people. He sent him for every person. So no matter how far you are from God, God made you, God loves you. You know, I grew up in a home that wasn't very good at communicating love. We didn't hug each other. In fact, when I was a little boy, I really didn't want to kiss my mom or dad. That was kind of gross. So, uh, and we weren't huggy, a huggy family. But the downside of that is we didn't know how to express love. I, I, sometimes I didn't feel very loved. But when I was in high school, I began to attend this youth group of high school kids at a church. And over the course of time, something kind of strange began to happen. Kids would hug each other. Like, like when you saw each other, you'd give each other a hug, or before you left, you'd hug each other, and I thought, that's weird, but it feels kind of good, especially when the cute girls do it. It feels really good. I started experiencing something in that group that was missing in my home, this, this love that all I had to do was show up, and I got love. I didn't have to do anything, prove anything, say anything. I just had to be me, and people loved me. And I began to learn that God loved me that very same way. We tell our little children in our, in our ministry here, one of the very first things we tell the kids, God made you and God loves you. And he loves the kids and he loves the adults. Church helps remind us of that week after week. Here's something else the church does for us. It teaches me the truth about life. It teaches me the truth about life. There's a debate today over truth. Some believe it's up to the individual to determine truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. You have your beliefs, I have my beliefs. Sounds real good, except when we clash. What do you do when someone who believes differently than you, when their truth is different than your truth? What do you do when you have a Nazi German that says, according to our truth, we kill Jews? Is there a truth above that that trumps their view of truth? We have a lot of terrorism going on all across the globe because someone says, our truth is greater than your truth. Is it really up to the individual? Well, others may say, well, no, because to be honest, you can't know truth. Truth is, truth is out there, but we really don't know what it is. You can never really know what's true. You can guess, you can make hypotheses, but you don't know. In fact, someone would say, there is no truth. But, but do, you, do you understand the hypocrisy of that? There is no truth, including what I just said. Because you can't say there is no truth unless that's true. But the Bible says there is a truth. There is something behind this world that's called truth. In fact, when Jesus came, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the words I speak, I speak are truth. But he goes beyond that. When, when the church is described in the book of, of 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's a verse that says that God's household is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Now, I'm not saying that the church is perfect, but the church draws us back to a book that speaks truth about us and about God and about life. This book is true. Doesn't mean that it's easy. Doesn't mean that all my questions are answered. But I have to tell you that when you follow the teachings of this book, it's like the pieces of the puzzle start to come together. When you have questions like, where did I come from? How am I supposed to live? What happens when I die? Where am I going to find the answers? 
You know, the Bible answers the biggest questions of our lives. When I lined up my beliefs to the beliefs of Scripture, it was interesting how all of a sudden I started having peace over many areas of my life where I had questions. And when I lined up my behavior to the, um, to the truths of Scripture in the areas of marriage and finances and relationships and, and um, thought life and, and all those kinds of things, when I started lining up my thinking and my behavior to this book, oh, it was amazing. All of a sudden, I'm starting to feel healthier emotionally, physically, relationally, financially, spiritually in every area of life. I don't know another source of truth in the world that if you line your thinking and behavior according to it, your life will be better. You will be happier. You'll make other people happier. You'll be a better person than if you line it up according to the truth of Scripture. Truth enables us to live life, life as it was meant. In fact, the Bible says life should be abundant should be eternal, should be a life that is truly life. And life is more than simply having the vital signs of breathing and blood flow. Life is embracing all that God has for us. And you know, I've done uh, probably about 100 funerals in my lifetime. And it's been fascinating as you listen to the stories that the family tells about someone's life. But I, but I have to say that there are times when I put together uh, maybe a story of someone's life that I say, you know, it didn't seem like they really lived a whole lot. Because it seems like many people have a goal to uh, avoid dying as long as they can rather than embracing life as much as they can. In other words, many people are so worried about dying rather than living. And God wants us to live, to enjoy life to its fullest. If you are a Californian, anybody from California here? Few people know, know, might know this name, John Muir. He was an explorer and naturalist that lived on the West Coast in the late 1800s. He traveled from California up into Alaska, exploring the forests. He's, um, he's known for preserving many of the Western forests. In fact, he's called the father of the national parks. In 1874, he was exploring the Sierra Mountains in the month of December, staying at a friend's cabin when, when a fierce storm came. And during this storm... Trees were bending over, almost like blades of grass in the breeze. And you would have thought John Muir would have huddled himself in this little cabin, lit a fire, put on some coffee, and just, just protected himself from the storm, but he didn't do that. What he did is he climbed a ridge, scaled a Douglas fir tree as high as he could, and he faced the storm. He wanted to see it. He wanted to feel it. He wanted to smell all the smells that came with the storm. He wanted to embrace it. You know, that's the kind of attitude I think God has for us when we approach life. Life isn't something you just kind of, you, you, you walk through like it's a landmine, that something's bad, bad, bad's gonna happen, I've gotta get through it. Life is to be embraced. It's a great adventure. I have a friend who every once in a while will have something that God puts before him, a challenge, a, a new opportunity, and on his text, He'll say, yee-haw. It's like, bring it on. You know, that's what the Christian life should be. It's an adventure. And is it scary? Yes. Could you die? Yes. People go to the mission field. People go on trips. People do uh, crazy things for God. And yet, they're not afraid of dying because when you give your life to Christ, in fact, we have a ritual called the baptism. 
You're, you, you get buried, and in a sense you're saying, God, I'm already dead. Nothing can hurt me now. So I'm gonna live life to its fullest. God wants us to know the truth so we can live life. I need the church because the church shows me what grace is. Shows me what grace is. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey tells a story of a woman who came to him. She was looking for help to feed her little two-year-old child. This woman had prostituted herself, sold her body in order to get money to not only buy food but support her drug habit. And it got worse than this. This woman started to sell her two-year-old child to dirty old men because she found she could get more money selling her daughter than selling her own body. And Philip Yancey got feeling very uncomfortable. He said this is very uncomfortable to listen to. In fact, he says, I now had a legal obligation to report child abuse. And as he listened to this woman, he says, have you, have you ever considered going to a church for help? And she said, church? Church? Why would I go to church? I already feel so bad about myself. They'll just make me feel worse. And isn't that what happens so many times in churches? People who feel bad about their failures, their sins, their mistakes, go to church only to get beat up. Reminded how bad they are, how unworthy they are. And yet, you know, it's interesting. If you look through Jesus' ministry, do you know where the prostitutes went? To Jesus. For some reason, they felt safe with Jesus. And if the church is the body of Christ, shouldn't people like that feel safe at a church? I mean, if we're the body, the extension of Christ, shouldn't people who've made terrible mistakes, who are living horrible lifestyles, feel if there's a place that I could go, it ought to be the church? But why is it? Why is it that many people feel like I'm not good enough to go to that church? I'm not worthy enough. I'll be judged if I go to that church. Something seems to be wrong when the church doesn't display itself like Jesus did. The church ought to be a place that has grace. Grace. The church, I believe, is like a hospital, a place where sick people go for help and healing. And the medicine we administer is this medicine called grace. It's the gospel of grace. What is grace? Well, sometimes you may see an athlete and say, that's a graceful athlete, or see a woman who's... who's, uh, you know, very proper and stately and say, well, that, that woman displays grace. But grace really was made popular through the church because grace refers to not getting what you deserve and getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting kind of a, a pass, not getting punished for things you've done, and not only that, you get a gift that you didn't deserve. It does both of those things. In fact, here's a good way to remember grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. As Dustin was saying, there's been a price paid. It's already been paid through Jesus. Grace is God's riches. The good things God gives to you, the blessings God gives to you, the presence of his Holy Spirit in your life, the promise of eternal life. God's riches come to you. Why? Because you're good, you've earned it, you've gone to church X number of times. No, you get it because he gave it to you. Because he paid the penalty. We deserve death for our sins, the scripture says. The wages of sin is death. The gift of life is found in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, the apostle Paul 
writes and says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for who? The ungodly. The ungodly. Those that didn't deserve it. He didn't die for deserving people. He died for undeserving people. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 8 and 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. None of us are good enough to earn God's favor, but God gives it to us through grace. My friend Jeff was telling me this week, it's okay if I pray tell, he shot, he shot par on the golf course the other night. I can do that in three holes. I, I, can, I can get the same number of strokes, about three or four holes, that, that he did in nine. That's amazing. In fact, uh, I was with the, some of the staff guys recently, and we were in this um, golfing scramble, and the guys declared that we needed to each have a mulligan. That's not a drink. It's, it's, it's when you make a mistake that you get to do a shot over. Now, I don't think golf really has mulligans, but just among buddies, we had a mulligan. It's, just, it's a do-over. It's a chance to do something over. And in a sense, in Christ, grace is a mulligan. It gives you a chance to live life again. This time, instead of you being in charge, Jesus is in charge. The church reminds me what grace is. The church also challenged me to to make the world a better place. Jesus described the church once in the Beatitudes in, in Matthew 5 like this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The church is an influence of good. It's, it's like salt that's put on, on your, uh, your vegetables or on your meat. It just makes things taste better. There's nothing real flashy about salt, but it just makes things better. It's like a light, a light that, that illuminates things around, that makes things visible, that, that makes life safer. We as believers make the world a better place. Evangelist Louis Palau said, he said the church is like manure, you keep it together and it stinks, but you spread it out, oh, and it, and, it, and, it, and it brings all kinds of growth. So as we go out as believers into the world, we make it a better place. If you're someone who's very critical of the church, let me remind you of what the church, and I'm not talking about necessarily this church in particular, though we've been part of these things, but here's what churches have done. In the early days of America, they started, the, they started 106 out of the first 108 colleges 106 colleges, universities started by churches. Most of them were seminaries. Yale, Harvard, all these Ivy League schools, almost everyone started off as a seminary. Christian schools and daycares, hospitals have been established by churches, crisis pregnancy centers, food banks, clothing closets, orphanages, uh, senior care facilities. Churches have given out Bibles given out counseling, offered workshops for marriages and parenting, paid people's rent, kept utilities on, given cars away, visited people in prisons, and on and on. Churches have exerted a positive influence in making communities better. Not only that, they've upheld some of the very foundational um, qualities that, that make our society good. I mean, churches are the ones that are teaching kids to tell the truth, to have compassion, to work hard, to be generous, to think of others more than yourselves. And we see when businesses operate by these same principles, like Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out Burger, 
the success that they have. When you get involved in a church, your church will help you get engaged in the community. It will help you think of people that that are in need. It will help you think of people that are less fortunate. We as a church have have collected food baskets, put together shoe boxes for kids, sent missionaries around the world. We're supporting missionaries in Tanzania who are starting businesses for people, the BUV, the the basic utility vehicle. And we have David and Sandy Eccles who VBS supported. They're opening up an internet cafe so that young adults in Namibia can have an education online, can, can begin to study and explore things they couldn't before. They didn't have access to it. We make the world a better place. And why else do I need the church? The fifth reason, it makes me feel like family. The soul that longs to know God is like a coal. A coal on its own will begin to die out. But when you put those lumps of coal together, they keep one another ignited and burning hot. God designed us not to be solo Christians, but to live in community with others. Again, back to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 19, it says, You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his own household, his own family. I don't know about you, but I'm finding that a lot of us have come from dysfunctional homes where people didn't know how to love one another, how to resolve problems, how to deal with anger. We've, had, we've grown up in families where there's been alcohol abuse and sexual abuse and verbal abuse. And I'm not saying the church is perfect, but we come to this place, this family of people trying to follow God's ways, and all of a sudden, you start to find other people in your life that are like family, brothers and sisters and moms and dads and and children who become like family. And that's why if you're guests or if you're new to church, you walk in, you go, why are those people hugging each other when they come in the foyer? It's like a family reunion when we come to church. Or when people are mingling after the worship time when Pastor Matt says, hey, you know, greet your neighbor, there's a lot of hugging going on. Why? Because we're like family. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time. And one thing I love about our family is there's diversity. It's easy to like people that are like yourself. But God puts us all together. Uh, The young and the old. uh, uh, The people who are very light-skinned and the people who are very dark-skinned. And we have men and we have women and we have people from, from, you know, the, the business world and people from the agricultural world and the military world. And we all get put together. In fact, on Father's Day, it was really cool watching the 70-some people who were baptized. All the variety of people, from the little children up to the senior adults, all saying we want to be part of the family of God. And so when you come to church, this may be the most diverse group of people that you hang out with your whole week. God meant it to be that way. God meant it to be different people, different tribes, different tongues. And so if you're church shopping, well, there's, there's a part of church shopping that's good. You're looking for a place for you and your family to connect. But there's a part of church shopping that I don't like. It's when people say, well, I'm looking for the best music or the best preaching or the best children's program because churches change and programs change and what's best in that church can be better at another church. And if you're always looking for what's better out there, you're never going to experience family because in my family... If I ask, who has the best food this week? It may not be my house. Yet you know where I'm going to eat? I'm eating with my family. If I'm looking for entertainment, the best entertainment may not be in my house. It may be at that house that has a big man cave with the 52-inch screen and surround sound. That may be where the best entertainment is, but it's not at my house. But you know where I'm going to watch a movie? At my house. You know why? That's my family. I think so many people today miss out on that feeling of family 
because they become consumers looking at the church like it's a business, like it's Walmart or it's Applebee's and saying, do I like this? Do I, I don't like that. I, they have it better over there. But I, but I urge you, you've got to settle down sometime and say, these people are my family. I'm done looking. I found it. And we're going to grow together. And you know what? We don't all like the same thing. We're not all the same way. But we've agreed to love each other. Philip Yancey, in his book, Church Why Bother, says, anyone who enters the church expecting perfection does not understand the nature of that risk or the nature of humanity. Just as every romantic eventually learns that marriage is the beginning, not the end, of the struggle to make life work, every Christian much, must learn that the church is only a beginning. You won't find the perfect church, but I'll tell you this. If you come to this church, you'll find a family that wants to grow with you and learn with you, help you through your struggles, pray for you. In fact, in just a few minutes, we're going to have some prayer partners up here to pray for anyone who needs prayer. But I want to invite you. For some of you, you might be very new to Pikes Peak Christian Church. You just started coming. Maybe this is your first Sunday. For some of you, you've been coming here for several months, and you say, you know, I kind of like the people here. I like to know a little bit more. Well, almost every month, we offer a class called Pikes Peak Next. There's information in your bulletin, but let me tell you what that is. It is our class that people go through to become a member. Now, you don't have to become a member of Pikes Peak Christian Church to attend. But many people say, I want to know more about what this church is, what the church is about, what they believe, what they're trying to accomplish in the world. Well, this is a class where you can find out about that. Now, Barry and Sue, where are you? If you could stand up. Right over here, Barry's one of our elders, and Susan's his wife, and they teach the Pikes Peak Next class. In fact, they're going there right after this service to teach the last class of, of the July series. Or did you do that last week? Today's the last one. Next week, they're going to start a new class. They'd love to have you come be part of it. They want to share with you how wonderful it is to be part of God's family. All you have to do is sign up. There's information in your bulletin or on the screen of how you can do that today. But we want you to go with us. We want you to grow with us. We want you to get closer to God with us. You might have hesitations. But pastor, you don't know the questions I have. I have some pretty tough questions. That's okay. Me too. I've got questions. You say, but, but pastor, you don't know my past. You don't know the mistakes I've made, all the, the baggage in my past. You, you don't know that. And I say, well, me too. I've got baggage. I've got junk in my past. I've got mistakes in my past. You may say, but, but pastor, I don't know if I'm like the rest of you here. I've got problems. Me too. I've got problems. And, and you may say, well, I hear what you're saying, but I have doubts. I don't know if I believe all this. That's okay. Do you know who else has some doubts? Me too. So you fit right in. You fit right into this place. We're in it together. We're not perfect people, but we're, per but we're people seeking to get closer to God because we have found God to be the best thing that's ever happened to us.